You're listening to Healing Conversations, a podcast full of healing stories for everyone. Brought to you by One Mission, a childhood cancer charity who does whatever it takes to get kids through cancer treatment. To learn more about me, Ashley Hasiotis, visit theunspokenbook.com. And to learn more about One Mission, visit onemission.org. That's O-N-E-M-I-S-S-I-O-N.org. In season two, you'll hear from so many amazing people on topics that hit home for everyone, from transgender issues, adoption, domestic violence, how men heal, childhood cancer, chronic pain, and so much more. You will be filled with hope for your own healing journey after listening to these stories. Let's dig in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to One Mission's Healing Conversations. I keep saying that I'm so excited to introduce you to my friends. Apparently, I have a lot of friends, but I am very excited to introduce you to my friends, Lynn and Melissa McJohnson. I have known them for almost 10 years now, I feel like, and we met through One Mission as they were amazing volunteers and still continue to be amazing volunteers for One Mission and helping kids get through cancer treatment, but they also have a really beautiful story. Their story is one I think is full of love and compassion, giving back to those who are less fortunate, but also furthering themselves to help their community and ultimately becoming adoptive parents. So welcome, Lynn and Melissa. So nice to be with you guys. So why don't you just Tell us a little bit about that moment when you were like, hey, so like, I think we should adopt some kids. (laughs) How did that go? Well, in the beginning, we thought our path was to have kids of our own. Mm -hmm. So we did that process for a couple of years and were unsuccessful. And it became apparent that that wasn't the path for us. And a good friend of ours told us that sometimes we don't always get to choose our path. Mm So we just kind of followed along with that. And um, a coworker of ours said she had a dream that we had adopted a child. And we were like, wait, you know, maybe that's an option for us. So we contacted the state of Connecticut and asked them what the process was and if there were any limitations because we were a same sex couple. And they said, nope, there's no limitations. There's an open house that was happening in our town right at the library. Yep. So we went down to the library and there was a handful, maybe about 10 to 12 people there for the same purpose, Mm -hmm. learning more about the adoption process and what you have to do and how to get licensed and go about that. We just went with it. We felt as though this was what we were supposed to do. It felt right. That sounds amazing. Were you feeling so amazing or were you like, oh my gosh, uh, how do we do this? And were you a little worried at all about like, oh my gosh, we're going to go from not being parents, like, it's not like you had the opportunity to be pregnant for 40 weeks where you could adjust to being, you know, a, a new parent. Um, You guys went from like, I, I guess the question is, how long was that process from the time that you made the decision to the time that you actually adopted your first little one? Well, we started, I think we went to the open house in mm-hmm. like January of 2017. Mm-hmm. And then we had to wait for classes to open up. There's a 16 week class that's required in the state of Connecticut. And it's the same class for fostering and adopt. So we had to wait for one of those to open up. And that opened up uh, towards the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So we didn't complete our classes until December of 2017. Okay. 
And then we had to get licensed. So then they do the background check. They come to your, they're in and out of your house constantly. They learn more about you than you know about yourself. (laughs) And if you have a trauma background, that's okay. Because, you know, I come from a very traumatic background that I've worked really hard to get to where I am today. And, and I'm using that as a benefit because, you know, Lynn and I talked about it and we're like, you know what, I can, I can help these kids. I can relate to them. I can, you know, help give them advice or comfort them or provide them with something most people can't do. So we use that. And I was very open in our, in our application. And in fact, with her, they were like, why didn't Lynn live anywhere else when she was a kid? You know, here, my background is I lived here and here and here and here and here. You know, we bounced around, we moved around and, and she grew up in the same house she was born in. Mm -hmm. So they were like, well, what's wrong with her? You know? (laughs) (laughs) So by the time we were licensed, I think was June of 2018. Mm -hmm. It took a while. It took a while. And then we were waiting and waiting and we were really anxious. And our friend that spoke about the path reminded us that ours just isn't ready. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll come, it'll come, it'll come. So we waited. You get to choose like we want this age, male or female or whatever, right? Do you get to choose all that? Yes. Yes. And you get to decide what kind of trauma background you can handle, right? Their goal is to just place the child one time. Like that's it. They -hmm. don't want to come back and they don't want to go through this process again because who wants to do that to a child? Right. But you literally can say, I want a blonde haired, blue eyed, seven-year-old boy if you Uh want. Or you can say, there's no preference to, you know, what they look like or what their past is. So I think we said between five and 10 mm-hmm. boy, mm-hmm. right? That was it. I don't think we were specific about anything. We just said, you know what? We'd like to open our home to a boy that's between the ages of five to 10, because we thought we could relate to him better than a girly princess girl. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't even realize. I mean, I guess that's so cool that they acknowledge that a lot of these kids have trauma, you know, histories. And I just, I guess I understand, I just know, I never realized that. And I think that really, that means a lot to me that they're acknowledging what happened to these kids and they want to place them with families that are going to be supportive and loving. And I think maybe mine or the general idea of like this foster care and adoptive state regulated system almost overlooked that and was just trying to check a box. So that really resonates with me. I really, really like that. I mean, I wonder, is there training involved for you guys or services that come along with and for these kids to help them like therapists and other healing modalities for them? Yes. In the state of Connecticut, the children are provided with full health and dental benefits. And if there's trauma, then they provide all of the services. You know, some kids might have in-home therapies versus, you know, remote or in-person therapy. We, you know, we have a foster child in the home right now and she's about to be 16 years old and DCF wanted to set her up with in-person therapy, but they took too long. So we set her up with someone we know that actually owns a business in Connecticut with remote because we figured you should at least have something for these kids because they're putting them in a stranger's home. Mm -hmm. You know, like I would need therapy just for that, let alone anything that you're dealing with at the time or before, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah, totally. Okay. So 
from a parent's perspective, right? Like I am always doing the dance of how much do I disclose to my children about my past because I don't want them to worry about me or to have it be about me, right? How do you find that balance with your kids about like sharing your trauma history and, and and how do you show up for them in that way? I mean, I can imagine that it's almost like there's an adjustment period for them to trust you, for them to open up to you. Like, you know, is that, is that a generalization or is it true that, you know, these kids are coming like kind of shell-shocked and afraid and, and, you know, having trust issues, like how, how, how did that process go for you? And how did you kind of get them to open up to you? So, I mean, I'll speak to that because we just had some recent incidents with one of the teenagers in the home and teenage girls are different because teenage girls are going to joke, you know, you're going to have like two different types of people. I feel you're going to have one that just kind of spits out everything because they have no boundaries whatsoever. And then you're going to have the kids that are really reserved or they're not going to give you any information and you can just tell by their behaviors or their choices or their reactions that there is some trauma there. So for me, it recently became known within the past few weeks to our girls because they were joking around about something and I didn't answer. So they were like, oh, ha, ha, you know, and they thought it was funny and they, they were kind of picking at me, you know, just being teenage girls. And I was like, well, I'll give you one word and you guys can figure it out. And I said trauma. And they both looked at me and they kind of like took a breath and were like, okay. And they, and that was it. So from that moment on, they kind of, you know, I just let them figure it out on their own. I didn't provide any details or anything like that because they get it. They know, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You can just sense it and that changes things. You know, Lynn is my, you can see that she's quiet over here, right? (laughs) This, This is her. She's generally quiet and she'll step in when she needs to step in, especially with the girls, because Recently, we had some issues that required, it was very frustrating for a couple of weeks and it it was due to behaviors and it was due to DCF not giving us enough information to look out for these types of things. We didn't find out until after the fact. So I was very overwhelmed because, you know, with trauma, there's, there comes triggers and here you're, you've opened up your home. You're, you're trying to parent these kids that aren't used to having parents. You're trying to discipline them for things that are very triggering for you, you know, when you're trying to set all of that aside. And I started to get very overwhelmed. Mm. So, and she stood right by my side while I talked to the, and I just spoke to the kids because I, I knew that I wouldn't want to be yelled at for that. You know, if it's a behavior that you thought was acceptable, why would you expect to get yelled at for it? You know? So we addressed it and we talked to them. And then there's one thing we don't tolerate in our house and that's lying. And I can, I can tell when the kids are lying and she can tell it's, it's obvious. It's like Pinocchio. (laughs) So they were lying and I, and I started to get emotional and I started to cry because I was like, I, I don't know how much more I can take of this. If you're going to lie to me, then I'm going to have to keep repeating myself over and over and over again. And nobody wants that, you know? So the kids came up to me and they started crying and they embraced me and she stepped in and said, you're not going to disrespect your mother. You know, you're going to respect her. Do not lie. Do not, you know, I'm stepping in because you've now upset your mother, you know, like, and that's when everyone is like, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a good cop, bad cop kind of yeah. scenario. It sounds like you guys have a great team. Uh, I mean, and I, I always knew you guys would be great parents. I remember talking to you about this and Gillette Stadium outside after one of the buzz offs. And you were like, hey, so we're going to adopt. Will you write us a letter? And I was like, can I get a pen and a piece of paper right now? Because yeah, yeah. I, I was so happy to support you in that because I, I just knew you guys would be great parents. And I feel like what makes great parents, biological or adoptive parents, great is that they're doing the work. And I feel like my parents didn't do the work. And so I'm still healing those childhood wounds. But when our parents are doing the work and we can show up and say to them in that moment, like, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. And when you lie to me, it really upsets me. Like using our big girl language, it's a teachable moment. And teachable moments is really what parenting is all about. But what you said earlier is so true. You know what? Look, we're humans. So as parents, we get triggered too, Mm -hmm. you know, and that is, and if we're not doing the work, our triggers show up in anger and frustration and punishment. Mm -hmm. But if we're doing the work, we can show up and, and acknowledge our triggers and we can say, Hey, this is what's happening if you have to apologize for whatever behavior, like I have to apologize to my kids a lot, right? Like, I'm really sorry about that. I was full of anxiety and I'm sorry if that upsets you, but here's what was going on in my mind, right? And I feel like, like I said, I, I, I thought you guys always knew you'd be amazing parents. And I feel like this is like what I call ancestral healing, right? Like you're breaking patterns, not only for yourself, but you're breaking patterns for these kids. And I think that is honestly what it's all about. Yeah. You know, so what advice do you have for anybody who's thinking about step, you know, starting this process aside from the, you know, showing up into the, to the state and asking for how do I do this? You know, how do you worry? Did you try to mentally prepare yourselves? And if so, how, and, and how can somebody do that? Because it's a big deal. I mean, like, look, my kids have issues. No one's perfect in this house. But like, it's different than saying, I'm signing up to help children who have abusive backgrounds. That's a different story. So how do you think you should mentally prepare for that? And if so, how? Well, uh, I'll tell you, we weren't even prepared for the situation that we're in right now. I mean, our our intentions were never to foster. Our intentions were to adopt. We we talked about it and we were like, you know what? We want to adopt a little boy. Mm -hmm. And then once we got Logan right here, he was this little diamond in the rough. And it was like, you know, we picked him up and we brushed him off and we gave him all the tools that he needed. He was lacking tools to be Logan, you know, Mm -hmm. and and he's this quirky scrawny little goofy little guy that constantly smiles and his biggest fear in the world is to lose us Mm. you know what I mean so when you get put in that situation everything changes it's like it's like our lives changed overnight well and not only that we adopted him five months before a pandemic right so yeah so we went from not being parents 
to having a seven-year-old that turned eight and then the school shut down and we were homeschooled teachers. So <laughs> it was uh, it was a very chaotic situation, but we decided that if things were to change, you know, and we live in this big four bedroom house, you know, we could take on more kids, you know, we'll see how it goes and play it out. Maybe we should keep our license active. So they said in order to do that, you have to at least take respite kids, which are, you know, established foster kids. And if that family goes on vacation and they can't take the kid out of the state or kids out of the state, they just need to go somewhere overnight or for a couple of days or a week or whatever. And we were like, you know what, that would be really cool. And, and Logan was all about that. But then he was starting to ask for like siblings, you know, I think someday I'd, I'd want another brother. That's what he would say. Yeah. I think someday I'd want another brother or I'd like to have a sister. And then we were like, <laughs> you know, and then the flip side of that is that DCF, you know, Massachusetts is in a much different situation. They are literally in a crisis with the amount of kids that they have versus the amount of adoptions in, in available foster homes. Connecticut has different policies and procedures. So it's not, it's not even a quarter of what Massachusetts is in right now. Wow. I didn't know that. So our, we established a good working relationship with our social worker and the supervisor loves us. And they kind of picked out which kids they thought would be a good fit in our home. Some kids, they don't want guys in it. You know, they don't want dads, you know, they don't want foster dads. They don't want men, Yeah. you know, and here there's two women with a little boy, you know, and we like to go to the fire department and do all these different things. And, and the kids are drawn to that. So they started putting kids with us that they thought would be a good fit in our environment. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. Right. But even though that's, you know, they're kind of doing a little matchmaking, you still have to kind of mentally prepare, no? Or like, how do you do that? I'm fascinated. Well, because the first time they placed someone with us, he was 11 and he literally came with two trash bags. So when you when you do your training, they'll have you put your head down, close your eyes, and they would give you a scenario as mm-hmm. if you were the child. Wow. You know, someone comes to your home, they ask you, grab everything you can and put it into a trash bag in five minutes that you want to take with you. They put you in a car. They ask you, you want McDonald's or Wendy's? You know, they grab you something to eat and then they drop you off. You see this big house and they drop you off over there and you bring your trash bag. Well, when he showed up at the door, it was exactly that. Wow. And she had to, I forget where she was at the time. She wasn't home. So I was home by myself with Logan and they dropped him off. And here he comes with his, his trash bags and like, like two matching duffel bags, you know, that was obviously gifted to him. Yeah. And he was just spending the night and they were going to pick him up and bring him to school the next day. So I sat down with him and I asked him why he was here. And I asked him what happened because it was an emergency placement, which means he did something and they wanted him out of the home that he had been in for for over a year. Wow. He was very honest and he spoke right up, told me exactly what he did. He put his hands on his foster mother because she cornered him and he felt like he couldn't get away. You know, he was, he was having a behavioral issue and she backed him into a corner and he reacted and he felt really bad about it, but he was honest and told me, and then he showed me how to solve a Rubik's cube. Right. And I'm like, this, like, I can't, 
I can't let this kid go to school with his trash bags. Like, how do you even do that at that point? Like what? There's nothing wrong with him. You know, well, that's what you see. Anyway, you see, you see this really nice part, you know, they call it the honeymoon phase, you know, where the kid is on their best behavior because they don't want to screw up. They really don't. Can you imagine the pressure of not wanting to screw up? And it eventually was, was what had him removed because in the end, that's what it was. He was trying not to misbehave and he, and he really didn't want to get in trouble, but it was, it was way too much on him. The one night turned into five weeks because it was like, well, we'll keep him for the weekend till they find a good home, you know, good foster home for him. And then we were like, well, he can stay. Well, he's not so bad, you know, and he was starting you could see his personality. Then we got him into like hugging, you know, and saying good night. And he would sit up and read with Logan and I at night, you know, he was starting to be a part of the family, but then they put him in a situation where he was pretty much set up to fail, where he was put into a summer camp that was for normal kids. I say normal because if you take a behavioral kid and put them in with normal kids, you're, you're setting them up for failure because they're, they have different needs. Yeah. So there was an incident that had happened and we asked DCF to remove him because we weren't the right home for him. We weren't able to provide the support therapeutic home, they call it where his behavioral needs could be tended to. Right. Right. So it really, really sucked, you know, because I was crying and he was crying and it was, a, it was, you know, you have this kid who had no emotions when he first showed up to being completely attached to us. Uh-huh. And he had like, was ready to have a breakdown right in front of our eyes in the driveway when we were putting his stuff in the car. And I just kept holding him and I said, we're going to see you like, this isn't the end, you know, we will be a part of your life, no matter what we will find you. Mm-hmm. So That was, that was, that was awful. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds awful. (laughs) But but, it sounds heartbreaking. Yeah, but you have to admit what's best for the kid. You know, like, if, if we're not able to provide them with what they need, then why, why would we, I don't want to say keep them, but why would we have them in an environment that's not right for them? Mm Yeah. Yeah. Looking back on that situation and all of the other ones that came before and after that, is there anything that you would do differently? I don't think so. No, we were just kind of on autopilot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I guess you just have to be open-minded. You know, initially we said we weren't even going to deal with teenagers, Mm -hmm. you know, because we're like, no, let alone girls. Right. (laughs) Now we have two teenagers in our house. Right. We, you know, like, Alex was placed with us last October and they said she just wanted to age out of the system. Can she stay with you until she turns 18? We were like, how hard could that be? Because, you know, at at 17, you're pretty self-sufficient. Right. And she volunteered for the fire department and, you know, she wanted to be an EMT and she was a senior in high school. So we're like, we could do that. So we take her and then we soon realize she's terrified of aging out of the system. She's terrified of turning 18. So she was not motivated to be successful at all, because why would you? Right. You know, she was failing high school. She was, you know, what wasn't happy with herself, wasn't comfortable in her own skin. You know, like there were a lot of issues because she was going to age out of the system. So 
in uh, January of this year, actually, we talked about adopting her so that she would feel safe and secure and have a family. And when we asked her, she had a breakdown and was like, yes, yes, that's what I want. That's what I want. Five days before 18th birthday, we adopted Alex and she graduated high school. She went to the prom, you know, like all these things happened. She, she pulled it all together and, and it really came down to, she, she wanted a family. Wow. And you guys provided that for her. We did, but you, (laughs) you forget that, you know, you say, oh, I don't want to deal with a teenager. Teenagers have too many problems, but in the end, you're, you're, you're signing up to help these kids. They all have problems. Mm-hmm. You're, even if you get, uh, let's say you adopt a safe haven baby, right? Do you know what a safe haven baby well, is? You define that for us. So say you're 17 years old and you're pregnant and you don't want to terminate your pregnancy and you have the baby, yeah. but you can't care for the baby. There are safe haven locations throughout the state. It could be at a fire station, could be at a hospital. And you basically put the baby in a a bin, like a cradle type thing, and you walk away. Oh, wow. You have no responsibility and the baby will get taken care of. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know what I mean? But even if if you adopt a safe haven baby, everyone wants to adopt a perfect baby. Right. But how do you know? How do you know how do you know what that baby was exposed to or what they've seen? You know, you're, you're signing up for a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, some kids come with a background, the older kids, obviously you can ask them, but the younger kids like Logan, you have to be really selective about how you ask questions because you can give them implied trauma. Totally. You know? Yeah. So he would, sometimes we almost spit out our food at the dinner table because he would blurt out things that he remembers and you're like, Oh, like, Whoa. Okay. Okay. We didn't know about that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Or like he just casually at the table said, you know, when I turn 18, can you help me find my brothers? And so we said, Oh, you have brothers. He says, yep. I have two older brothers. Yep. And we were like, yes. Yep. When you turn 18, we will certainly help you do that. Oh my God. How long into living with you before he told you that? Uh, almost a year, almost I a think. Year. Oh my Lord. Can you imagine guys, we could talk for an hour about all of this stuff. <laughs> I literally, am like speechless. I've had goosebumps since we started talking because <laughs> this is like, I mean, you're fostering for lack of a better word, human beings in a safe environment who otherwise have never felt safe to be themselves. Can right. you imagine how long it took him? To get to the point where he could say, oh, and by the way, will you help me? Yeah. Because asking for help was likely not even in his repertoire of options ever before. And you guys created this safe environment for him to say, hey, guess what? I need help. And also, by the way, I have family. Yeah. I mean, literally, I have goosebumps everywhere. (laughs) I think what you guys are doing and will continue to do is of the utmost importance, truly and honestly, even above and beyond, I think, having a biological family, not to say that what the majority of us do is wrong, obviously not, but to go out of your way to help a child heal and to provide a true home is God's work. Honestly, I do. I do believe that. Um, so last question, two or three points. Again, I think I asked this, but I, I think we got derailed. 
you know, what would you give for advice for families who want to do what you're doing? You want to give advice? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, you know, she's the silent type in the back. She, she is. She is. Hey, one. but she's here. I am she's here. Agreed. She's here. Physically and mentally here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, first and foremost, you have to go with your heart, but you also have to go with your head too. So you got to go all in. Yeah. You do. You do have to go all in. So, so don't be wishy-washy on your decisions of what you're saying. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Don't let your, like, if you're not capable of taking care of the kids, don't, don't be hard on yourself about it. You know? And I think, I think, you know, like I'm a fixer, you know, I want everybody to like me and I, you know, I want to get along with everyone. And if, if you like, I think the way that we handle these kids are different than most people because sometimes they cry and they don't even know why they're crying. And they're like, oh, they won't run away, you know, and you just like, we joke around and she'll say, you broke her, you know, like, and I was like, I broke her. I don't, I didn't do anything, you know, and we, and we just, we're just open with the kids and say, look, we're, we've never been parents before. Like yeah. you have to help us help you. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what I said, or I don't know what happened. Right. Yeah. You're crying. It's like, <laughs> I can help you fix it. You know? So you, you just have to, I know. Keep an open mind. Don't let your personal, it's hard to say, don't let your personal attachment get in the way because here we are, every kid that's come into our house, we've pretty much adopted. (laughs) And uh, the one that we fostered, we still stay in touch. He wants to spend the holidays with us. You know, we, we talk all the time. And so we're still very, he's been reunified with his mom and his siblings Oh wow! in in the same town as us, which is really cool. Awesome. the 15 year old that's soon to be 16 wants us to adopt her. She's mm-hmm. decided she does not want to leave. So I can't say that we've actually been a foster home because we never intended to do that. Cause right. we were afraid. We were afraid we were going to want to keep them all. <laughs> hmm. Right. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I hear that. I, I okay. hear that. And I see that maybe that's your actually, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy right there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but to recap. So be open, right? Be open to uh, your own capabilities mm. of being able to be a good parent. Don't let the fear of making a mistake get in your way because there is no perfect parent. So like you described, like, oh my gosh, you're crying. What happened? What did I do? What do we need to talk yeah, about? Yeah, what's happening here? Um, and be firm on your decision. Like it, it's likely not going to be an easy road, just like parenting our own biological p- kids is not an easy road. One last takeaway for for people who want to do what you guys are doing. Let me go back to that one, that, that last one you just said, the parenting thing. Yep. You are going to be parenting kids that were not parented. Correct. It's not even remotely close to give me your tablet. I'm taking that away. They don't. So you can't take something away from someone who never had anything. Most of these kids, the only thing they own is their phone. You take that phone away and you are going to have an absolute disaster because it's an invasion of privacy. It's the only thing they own. You know what I mean? So you have to, when you're parent parenting these kids, you're pretty much re-teaching them how to be parented. Because if you're up in their business saying, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, why are you telling me to, not to do that? Why? Like why all of a sudden is someone telling me this isn't right and this is right. And you know what I mean? So it's different and it takes time. So you have to be really patient and consistent with that. 
Wow. That's great advice. Patience and consistency. Yeah. So then the last takeaway is people constantly ask us, how much did it cost? Great question. When you adopt through the state, the state that you live in, and you don't go through an agency, you go direct through the state Mm -hmm. and you get licensed and all that stuff. It's free. In some situations, they actually pay you. It might be $20 a day, but it's something, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and some kids come with additional benefits like health insurance, dental insurance, Alex and Logan both came with college tuition. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. So that they, if they choose to go off to college when they graduate high school, that the state will cover the expenses for Mm -hmm. that. And that's That's amazing. So I can imagine that being one of the reasons why people don't do it because maybe they're like, oh my gosh, I I can't afford, I can't afford it. Right. 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 You know, but that's if you're going through an agency, adopting a kid across the country, you know, you have your flight expenses and travel expenses and whatever the fees are associated. Mm -hmm. It could cost $20,000, but we're not looking to find, you know, some little prince, you know, where we were looking to find kids in our state or in New England that support, you know, that we could support. And in Massachusetts, Mayor Inc. is a nonprofit in Massachusetts. It's the Massachusetts Resource Exchange for Kids and Foster Care. Okay. Uh, they have different events, seminars. They have free information on their website. You can actually see the legally freed for adoption children profiles on their website wow. in Massachusetts. We did go to one of their events at Quinsig. It was at Quinsig mm-hmm. where they had seminars and Elliot from Jordan's Furniture put the whole thing on. He had a catered lunch and then the kids were all there. I don't know if you've seen that movie, Instant Family. Yes. It was, it was very similar to that. And it was weird. <laughs> it was wow. weird because it was when we had just gotten licensed and here we are standing in the middle of the field and these kids are running around and you have a book with profiles of the children in it. And you're, it's like, it's like you're looking for a puppy or something. Oh, wow! So Elliot came up to us and he said, what do you think? I said, you know, this is, a, I, I, I just don't even know. I don't even know how to respond to this. My mind was just like, I don't even know. I don't know. He goes, but you know what? The kids are having fun. Mm-hmm. They don't even know what's happening. And oh. all of your resources are right there. You can see how the child responds when you approach them or how they're interacting with other kids, how they're playing. You, and then they had representatives from all of the New England states mm-hmm. from DCF in each like corner of Massachusetts, for example. They had a representative there and you could come with all your information and inquire about the kids, you know, or say, I'd like to learn more. I'd like to be considered to okay. be a match for them. Obviously, you can't just say I want that one. It doesn't right, right. It doesn't it doesn't really work like the movie does, but yeah. you can inquire and then they then they go through and they match people up and prioritize the matches. Okay. And then they will contact you based on that. Like say you say they contacted you and said, Oh, we have a match for you. Would you like to be considered? And you say, Yes, you know, I talked about it with my partner and absolutely would love to be considered. They might have seven other people that they call that are also matches. And then once they have the list of the people that say yes, they prioritize them. And whoever is the best match, they contact first. Okay. They say no, then they move down the list. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's how that thing works. 
Wow, I have learned a lot. I'm 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 speechless. I think this is a fascinating conversation. I'm so thankful to you guys, grateful that you said yes to opening up your life to all of our listeners. Um, we will definitely put that link in the show notes for people who are interested. And you know, honestly, thank you for everything that you're doing and keep doing it because. Uh, The world needs more Lynn and Melissa's, in in my opinion. (laughs) So thank you guys so, so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Healing Conversations, a One Mission podcast. Remember, you're not alone in your healing journey. Many have come before you and many will come after. Everyone has a story. By sharing yours, you heal the world. We're so grateful to our guests for their vulnerability, honesty, and healing vibrations. Cancer can steal a kid's childhood. We help them get it back through programs and activities that foster friendship, fun, and positive distractions from treatment. Whether it's putting on holiday celebrations, providing art and music therapy, or paying for expensive hospital parking, one mission makes life brighter for children and their families from the moment of diagnosis through treatment and beyond. Follow us on Instagram at One Mission Official and on Facebook at One Mission. Join our mailing list at onemission.org to stay up to date on our news and events. This podcast is sponsored by Provident Healthcare Partners. If you would like to become a part of this podcast, email us at info at onemission.org. To keep this podcast going, please consider a donation to One Mission that will bring programs and services to kids fighting cancer. Text DONATE to 44321. To learn more about my healing journey with chronic pain, overworking, and collapse into migraines, read my book, The Unspoken, available on Amazon. Thanks to our producer, Michael Harmon.